Listen, the title of this message, oh good, there it is. Instead of The Blessed Life, you may have read the book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. Uh, right now I'm teaching a series with the, the men at Bravehearts on Thursday mornings at 6.30 called The Stress Life. And it's something that I kind of outlined and highlighted over Christmas because Christmas tends to, you have acute stress, right? And you've got chronic stress. Christmas is acute, right? It just creeps up on you and you're like, wah, I got to do something. I got to buy something. It's kind of like Valentine's Day today, men. Uh-huh. That's called acute stress, right? But we're talking about the stress life. And this is actually uh, part four of that series. So men, some of you have heard most of this before. I've changed it a little bit. Some of you haven't. But we're going to have a great time talking about this. I had a great time in Lubbock. I'm going to start with a picture for you this morning. A little puppy has a lot of stress in his life. He's under a chair that a woman's sitting on, and the chair looks like it may not hold. All right? And that's the picture. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of stress in life. And today we're going to talk about, look, the sword you sharpen can be dangerous. You see, all of us are given a sword. The Scripture says that as Christians, Ephesians chapter 6, you probably know this, we have the shoes of the gospel, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. So all of us are given a sword. All of us should be sharpening our swords, right? But we have to be careful because most would not sharpen their sword for themselves. But some do. And we're going to read about a man who didn't realize he was sharpening his sword for himself, but eventually the end of his life ended this way, that he would fall upon his own sword and die. First Samuel. Here we go. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Geboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearers, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons, his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. Listen, of all the swords that were wielded at Saul, do you understand something about Saul? He's the king of Israel at this time. He's the big man. He's the man who can tell one man to go from here to there, and, it, and, and that's what will happen. He can ask for anything, and it will be given to him. He is the king at this particular time, but of all the swords that were wielded at the king, at King Saul, it amazes me that Saul was killed by his own sword. What a terrible tragedy. It was the sword of stress, and as life went along, the sword became very big, and it became very powerful. And this morning, as we look at the life of Saul, and we see what could have caused this much stress to take his own life, Hopefully we'll learn something and we'll be able to take something from this message and sharpen our, so our swords for the enemy instead of for ourselves. So listen, let me start here with Saul, just kind of give you a brief history of Saul. All right, Saul originally was accepted by God and ultimately was chosen by God. You ever heard this, man, that man's just an instrument of the Lord. He was an instrument of the Lord. He was chosen by God. Samuel anointed him as king. 
Now Samuel is the voice, the, the spokesperson of God. He's the prophet in that day and time. He anointed him as king. He even kisses him, showing his support of King Saul. King Saul is made commander over the Lord's inheritance. You know what the Lord's inheritance is or was that day and time? It's the Israelites. He's told this, hey, look, I'm, I'm making you commander over the Lord's inheritance. In other words, the Lord's souls out there, Saul, you have a great responsibility with them and to them. Samuel tells Saul there will be three signs to confirm your kingship. Right after he anoints him, he tells him this, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb. They will speak to you. You will go to the terebinth tree at Tabor. Three men will meet you with three goats, three loaves, a skin of wine, a group of prophets. Then the Spirit of the Lord will even come upon you, Saul. And from there, look, he's got to go to Gilgal. He waits for seven days for Samuel, the prophet, to come. And then he will, from there, sacrifice to the Lord. Now, the reason I share this with you is for this. I want you to understand that he was chosen by God, but he didn't end his race well. See, as long as he followed the voice of the prophet, as long as he listened to the prophet that God had given him, as long as he listened to Samuel, things would go good for him. But when he began to listen to himself, when he felt like he was a little higher then, when he felt like he had position in life now, it became dangerous for him. I mean, it amazes me that even Saul prophesied with the prophets is what the Scripture says. That means the Spirit of the Lord was upon this man. What happened? 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 34 says this, church. says, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Ouch. I don't want that documented in my book. All right? I doubt if there's a book going to be written about me. But a couple of things that are documented in Saul's chapter in these books is, one, he was anointed as king, but second, he fell on his own sword. Maybe even a third was that he disappointed God. What a terrible thing. Many of you are sharpening a sword, and if you're not careful, well, you may wind up falling on it. Many of us have sharpened the sword of stress, and its desire is no different than that of Satan. The Scripture says its desire is for you. Swords are not built to destroy their owner, but for the owner to slay his enemies. So what happened to Saul? His sword became a sword of stress. Possibly you could say it this way, his sword became a sword of distress. Saul finds himself in trouble because of all of the stresses that were coming upon him. Now he had chronic stress just from being king. He was getting older. But he also had acute stresses that would show up in his life that created all kinds of problems and havoc for him. They shouldn't have. There was a man by the name of David who showed up on the scene. You remember David? And David, really, when you read the Scripture and you compare David with Saul, he's the antithesis of Saul. He's in direct opposite. He's not prideful. He's a little boy. He's a young man, if you want to say it that way, when he shows up on the scene. It's an interesting story, but here's what happened with Saul. The first thing, the first public enemy, number one, was the voices that he began to hear and listen to. Now, church, let me tell you something. There's a voice that cries out and calls out to you every day. In, in the Methodist world, or maybe we should say it this way, in the Wesleyan world, it's known as prevenient grace, the grace of God that calls out, that cries out to every person that is born that, that hopefully would hear his voice, that they would come to him. God is constantly in pursuit of us. But there are other voices out there as well. Ephesians talks about a voice that is the prince of the air. It's the darkness, if you will. 
And those voices are there to accuse you. Those voice are, are, voices are there to tell you that you will not measure up, that you don't measure up, that you'll never be or accomplish what God has intended for you in this life. And here's the thing, depending on who you listen to depends upon the amount of stress you will experience. Do you hear me? You may not be listening to my voice, but you should today. All right? Because here's the truth. The truth is, depending upon which voice you choose to listen to for the day, that's the voice that will win the day in your life. And there is an accuser out there, and that's what he chooses to do. He finds you and he accuses you, and sometimes that's through other people. Sometimes that's just from a voice in your head. But he's the one accusing you, not God. The voices, public enemy number one. I preached a whole message about this not long ago, about the voices we hear that this year of 2016 is going to be one of the loudest years that we'll ever know or has ever been known to man. There are voices crying out to people, trying to convince people to join their team. Right? It's amazing. Saul originally didn't have to ask people to join his team, but then he started listening to these voices. One of them was the voice of the women. It's a powerful voice, women. Remember? Saul killed his thousand, David his ten thousand. And so Saul's like, wait a minute, I'm the old man here, I'm the king. Y'all didn't see everything I did. They didn't have social media in my day. You understand? He's, he's starting to listen to the wrong voice. He's starting to get nervous, right? His focus was, one on, was, was more on what others would think instead of what, what God would say. It's the reason that he begged Samuel to go back with him. If you remember, even Samuel shows up on the scene and he says, hey, you've done some things. You're listening to the wrong voice. Let me tell you something. You better turn from your wicked ways. Samuel said, as a matter of fact, I'm not even going back with you. Now watch. The reason why that's important is because Saul fell down on the ground. He grabs a hold of Samuel. The scripture says he tore his robe and Samuel turned around and this is in Curtis's terms. This is my interpretation. But he says, that's exactly what you've done with your inheritance, the Lord's inheritance. You've torn it in two. You didn't listen. You listened to the wrong voices when you did listen. Listen, it's important that we don't pay attention to what the enemy is saying. And the enemy wasn't necessarily the women. I'm just using that to joke. The enemy was something going on in Saul's mind. He was sitting there saying, I no longer measure up. The younger generation is coming up. The younger generation, obviously David is stronger than I am. And then he runs into public enemy number two. This will create a lot of stress, unnecessary stress in your life. Position and pride. Public enemy number two. Look, it's no longer the story of God, but now it's become the story of Saul. The scripture says early in the morning Samuel got up and went to meet with Saul. So here's the prophet of the Lord. He's going to go meet with Saul. It's, it's just a set up deal. Men and women of God, you probably do this in the morning. One of the first meetings you have is with the Lord. Well, that was a scheduled meeting. This is supposed to happen. But then he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. In other words, through his own insecurity. He went up on the mount, Mount Carmel, and he builds an image of himself to remind the people just how great he truly was. People, you need to remember how great I am, all the great things that I've done, and it's no longer the story of God working through Saul's life. It has become the story of Saul, and that's a story that brings danger with it. 
See, Saul listened to his own voice instead of the voice of God. Even in that, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry. He cried out to the Lord all that night. That's what the scripture says. I love this because this means the prophet of the Lord actually loved the king. He prayed for him all night. He cried out for him, but even through what he was doing, he could not save Saul from his own pride. Pride is dangerous. You remember Saul. He thought he was going to get away with something. The last major battle before this battle with the Philistines, he went out to kill the Amalekites, and God told him, he said, hey, you kill everything. You destroy them from the face of the earth. Even their animals, you wipe out. Now, this shows the impurities of the people. Okay, there, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of theological ideas about why they had to go and kill everything. But basically, they were intermingling with God's people. And Saul was allowing this to happen. So now he's told to go out and wipe them off the face of the earth. They defeat them, but he keeps the fatted lambs and the fatted cattle for himself. He even keeps the king, if you remember the story. Now this is dangerous for this reason. Samuel shows up, the voice of the Lord within Samuel. He says, hey, rumor says, rumor has it that you kept some back for yourself. You remember how he responded? Oh, yeah. Well, no, not for me. I, I was going to sacrifice those to the Lord. Uh-huh. So you see, he became prideful. As a matter of fact, he no longer wanted to wait on Samuel. He, never want, he didn't want to wait on Samuel to come and sacrifice to the Lord. There was a battle at hand, and he said, I'm, I'm anointed now. I'll just sacrifice myself. Through his pride, he got himself in trouble, and he even got his people in trouble. See, pride eventually will lead us to another place in our insecurity, a place of jealousy. Jealousy is dangerous. You know, eventually Saul's only concern becomes to kill David, God's anointed one. A prideful person becomes a jealous person because someone will come along eventually and be better than you. They cannot celebrate someone else's success. How well do you do when someone younger than you comes along and does your job better than you? I know how I feel. A lot of preachers out there that are far younger than me that preach the gospel much better than I do. I feel like much more clearly they have greater examples and I go, yeah, well. I know uh, last year I was in the gym, you know, and finally had lost enough weight and, and, and could curl a lot of weight and could bench press a lot of weight and, and was really feeling good about myself. And then some young buck comes in there and he tells me this. He says, hey, man, if I was you, I would do it this way. I think it'll save your strength a little bit. <laughs> I remember looking at that kid going, how old are you? That's what I asked him. He said, I was, I'm 19. I said, let me tell you something, young man. I said, you come back and talk to me when you're 45, all right? Let's see what you look like then. I looked like that when I was 19, too. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Let me show you a picture. Let me show you the image I built, right? So, see, it, it, it's tough when someone comes along because pride will eventually lead us to this place of jealousy. He became very jealous of David. See, in God's kingdom, it's not the strong, it's not the arrogant, it's not the prideful person that is able to inherit, but it is the meek, is what Jesus says. The meek are the ones that will inherit in my kingdom. I've said this many times, but it's humility that attracts. It's the fragrance that attracts God. Public enemy number three. It's lonely at the top. You understand there's a lot of stress being at the top. A whole lot of stress. And let me say this. 
There's a lot of stress in the middle. There's a lot of stress on the bottom. A whole lot of stress, right? Look, it's just simply lonely. That's my point here. It's just lonely. It can be public enemy number one if we're not careful. Loneliness is a great problem of our society today. Who's trustworthy? Where do we go for counsel? Look, I'm a pastor, and you mean to tell me that I must pay someone to care for me lest I be thrown under the bus for what I say. Now, do you realize we speak to more people in a month through social media and other forms of communication than our grandparents did in a lifetime? And I, I never noticed my grandparents being lonely. Maybe. My papa used to sing songs when I'd ride out to the farm with him. And there were songs he made up, so maybe he was lonely. I don't know. <laughs> they were funny songs, and I enjoyed the songs. They never rhymed. But neither do mine, so it was fine. I learned a lot from that man. But have you ever thought of that, our grandparents, that we, within a month, communicate to more people than our grandparents did in a lifetime? That's how quickly things are changing. See, and this is interesting to me. We live in one of the most loneliest times ever recorded. One of the most loneliest times ever recorded. Genesis 2 says this, it is not good for man to be alone. Hey, it's also not good for men to be crowded. You see, there's a balance is what I'm saying. There's a balance. We can be in a crowd and still be alone. We can be by ourselves and find loneliness as well. See, but because of his position, Saul was in a great position. He was handed over a great inheritance. He was constantly on the move. Have you ever thought of this? Because of, of his position, it put him constantly on the move. Listen, many of you, because of your professions, it puts you constantly on the move. When I served the church in Arizona, it was a military area. That's pretty much, at that time, all who was around Sierra Vista. And it was interesting to me, um, I, that's the first time I'd ever heard of snowbirds. You know what a snowbird is? It means when it gets cold up north, people move south. People who have money move south, all right, who can afford to live. And so the church would fill up in the wintertime, and then in the summertime, you'd be like, where is everybody? But the military was constantly changing, constantly uh, rotating in and rotating out. You see, based upon our position or our profession, oftentimes we're called to move. And today in time, very few people stay with the job that they started with early on in life. And so we're on the move. We move from house to house. We move from village to village. Think about Saul. He moved from Carmel to Gilgal to Tulane to Amalek. Um, war caused him to be on the move much more than what possibly he should have. Look, today in time, one of every three to four families move each year in the U.S. This causes relationships, headships, friendships to change, which, look, cause stress. They cause stress. We're creating new relationships, but we don't know if we can trust in those relationships. And even though Saul was at the top, he felt unneeded. He built a monument in his own image, out of his own insecurities. Many of you feel unwanted. You feel unimportant. You feel unneeded. You've asked yourself this question many times. Would anyone even notice if I weren't here tomorrow? It's a scary question. Be careful with that question because you're listening to the accuser and you're sharpening that sword, not for your enemy, but for yourself. Listen, lonely. Some of us are lonely because we feel like the buck stops with us. 
What would happen if, it, if, if, if I weren't here? Imagine being a surgeon and the only one that can do what you do. That's your profession. Imagine all the lives that you hold in your hand and you think, if I don't show up, I've gone 24-7 for the last month, but if I'm not there, someone's life hinges on the balance of my hands and how professional I truly am. It's lonely there. It's lonely there. Lawyers who are defending the innocent. Those of you who must take a stand because it's the right thing to do, but it's not the popular thing to do, oftentimes you find yourself lonely. And then there's this thing known as spiritual loneliness. Look, the loneliness that happens when we walk away from God, because this is really what happened to King Saul. He began to say, I no longer need to hear the voice of God. I can do this in my own strength, in my own power. See, when the anointing is no longer there and we're trying to run upon our own strength, things get dangerous. We become exhausted. Augustine. In his book of the Confessions, for years I left that book next to my bed and I would just pull it over and I would read different things that he was talking about because one thing I liked about Augustine is is in his day and time you didn't confess. Not to everyone, right? There's supposed to be someone behind a little black screen there and you're supposed to lay your confession there and leave it and leave it alone. Instead he writes a book and says, look, I'm a priest and this is what I'm dealing with. And I loved his honesty. It's one of the things that that made him famous. And I used to pull that book out and just read it. And one of the things I had underlined there is he says this, My soul is restless, O God, till it finds its rest in thee. If I try to do it on my own, when I try to do it under my own power, it becomes a lonely place to live. And it creates stress in my life. Look, you may say, I've never been at the top. However, I do know that you have probably felt alone. Have you ever been given that diagnosis? And you feel like no one else understands but me. It's a lonely feeling. But God does understand. See, many handle the pain of loneliness this way. They, through drugs, through alcohol, through women, men. I didn't have men in there but self-pity running away suicide right first we must understand that only god inhabits his throne so here's what we need to do is lift him up and not lift ourselves up a lot of times we're lonely just because of this we go back to the other three we become we're prideful we're arrogant we think this world ought to pivot around us and no one seems to notice right what is the greatest commandment to love the lord let's just stop with that first word love we're supposed to have one another you understand that that god intended for us to carry one another's burdens to help to be there to be responsible to be the body of christ so that people wouldn't be lonely but they would have a community that would invite them in and say the table is set come and eat with us that's what god's after I love this because if I were to ask you what the greatest commandment is, everyone knows that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. But let's just stop there. It's interesting to me that the first and second commandments that Jesus gives starts with the word love. Driving home from Plainview the other day, and I thought about this. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Love the love, love. You understand love is hard to do outside of relationship. God calls us in relationship with him and with others so that we will not find ourselves in that lonely place, taking on the arrows of the enemy 
by ourselves. What a terrible place to be. Public enemy number four. <laughs> this is how you know I wrote this. Watch. You're out of your prime, right? I mean, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, yeah, yeah, day before yesterday. What is day before yesterday? Friday. Friday, I go to Walmart. I'm walking out of Walmart, and this guy's walking in. He's got a cowboy hat all rolled up. I'm not paying any attention. He's got a scruffy face. You know, he says, hey, Curtis. And I looked at him, and I said, yeah. Um, I don't know you, right? And he's got his wife there standing with him. He said, you don't, you don't recognize me? I was in your youth group. <laughs> okay, cool, man. And I'm trying to figure out who this guy is. At the same time, this, these were his words to me. God, dude, you've gotten old. <laughs> I was like, I'm so old, I can't even remember your name. So, so here's the thing. We're out of our prime, right? What happens when you're out of your prime? You missed your opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of the opportunity. Many of us think, think that our better days are in our past, and we, we feel like we have to create this image because no one remembers who we once were. Man, I'm just simply out of my prime. It doesn't matter what I do today or what I do tomorrow because I missed my opportunity. Some of us quit too soon. We feel like we missed the mark. We're not going to finish the race. And we feel stressed because it simply feels like it's all gone. It's in our past. Years ago, you know, Paul tells us to set out, mark out the race that is set before us. Years ago, I was... Uh, in the San Angelo relays. But I'm talking about I was running in them, folks. And I've shared this before. I just love this story because I just, I, it just worked out so well. There were like nine heats in the 300-meter hurdles. And so I'm sitting there stretching with the team and, and everything else, and, and somebody walks up and says, Hey, Curtis, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so are in your heat. They're the fastest guys in the state of Texas. Number two and number three. And they said, uh, uh, how did you get that? How did you get them in your heat and everything? And I'm like, shut up, you know, let's go on. Let's. So I'm stretching, and I'm thinking, and here in a minute, I look at everybody, and I say, I want you to know something. They're going to announce my name on that speaker. It's going to happen. And I was, I didn't know exactly how. I thought about taking one out, you know, on, on the start, you know, something like that. I was just thinking, but I had lane one. They had lanes two and three. And they shot the gun, and after they shot the gun, I'm talking about, I, I took off like it was a 100-yard dash. And I ran, and when I came out on the straightaway, I'm way out in front. I'm talking about way out in front. But here's the, the truth. I didn't have a sustainable pace. <laughs> it's pretty good for the first 200. Ran probably the fastest 200 in my life. But the second to the last hurdle, I realized that they had measured that hurdle wrong, and all of a sudden it went from three feet to six feet tall. My jaw, no joke, my jaw started hurting. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I think my body was shutting down. And this guy just shoots by me, and I get caught up in his jet wash, and it pulls me over that hurdle. But the last hurdle, I literally walked across and pushed it over. And I just walked across the finish line. I was dead. I'd given out, right? I, I, I had run too fast, and I no longer had a prime. There was nothing there to prime the pump anymore, right? I'm just done. See, here's the thing. We need a sustainable pace, but we need to finish the race that's before us. 
I can't help if you're out of your physical prime. Here's the truth. If you're getting older, you should be moving into a sage. And back in the olden days, sages are who we sought after to find out how to do life. Not the experts. You understand America is full of experts. Experts who are full of themselves. Experts who have Ph.D. and doctorates. And if you have those things, bless you. I wished I did. But here's the thing. We, we look for the, the expert who's 35 years old and has all the answers to all the problems instead of living those answers out in their life and growing old and mature in their faith. See, it doesn't matter the prime, folks. It matters your time. If you're worried about your, your prime, here's the problem. It's going to run out. Your physical prime is simply going to be that. It's going to run out. But... It does matter what you do with your time. You have to set a sustainable pace. Look, we can't stop short. The rich young ruler, you remember he came to Jesus and said, Hey, I've done all these things. But then the scripture ends this way, that he walked away sad. Michelangelo, when he was a young boy, he went to a master sculptor. He asked to be his student. And the sculptor told him, he said, This will take your life. And Michelangelo replied, What else is life for? Maybe you need to hear what Jesus said. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. Let's do that, right? See, it amazes me. David never had a prime. You understand that? King David, coming along after Saul, never had a prime. Matter of fact, he shows up near the battlefield to serve Saul, and, and all of a sudden he starts hearing this giant in the Philistine army call out, and I love this about David because it says that David stepped out and he says, Hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? You want to make men mad? You want to make an army mad? Talk about their manhood. He picked a fight. I don't have to repeat that, do I? For you to get it. He talked about their manhood right there. And Saul's like, you want to fight him? And he's like, sure. He said, here, put my armor on you. So he puts his armor on him. And it's too big. He's not in his prime. He's just a, a boy. But he's a boy with a big heart. He's a boy who understands, hey, I'm willing to fight at any time. It doesn't matter. I've been sharpening my sword for a long time. I've been getting my stones ready for a long time. He killed a lion and a bear long before his prime. He was... Concerned more about his time, right? And when it was time to shine, he simply did that. Look, seasons change, but purpose doesn't, church. A sage in his prime is a sage at all times. Public enemy number five. I told you, there's only five. It's funny because our next sermon series is called Five Smooth Stones. But I won't try to cover them all in one sermon. Okay, here we go. Public enemy number five, this will create stress in your life, the temptation of avoidance. In other words, being passive. All right? Life can wreck. J. Wallace Hamilton said this. He said, every person's life is a diary in which he or she means to write one story and is forced yet to write another. In other words, things happen. Things happen. And we, instead of trying to avoid those things, learn how to walk through them with God. He says these words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone. Look, we can walk with him through the fires and challenges of life. You can make life somewhat predictable, church. You can. You can invest today, and it's probably going to be there tomorrow. Unless it's oil. But 
Some of us are watching that closely. But, but life can be somewhat predictable, but there is this part. You know, there's the 80-20 part, right? And that 20 part, all of a sudden you get that phone call that wrecks your life. All of a sudden, things change. Things are not the way they, they, they seem they, they, they should be. And many of us just say, I'm going to avoid it. Sometimes it's dealing with a spouse that has a critical illness, or maybe you're not getting along with that spouse anymore, or maybe it deals more with having a teenager. Look, some of you have been dealt huge blows. I've done funerals for every age group. I did a funeral this week and was called Friday, the day after the funeral, in the possibility of doing another one. I was at the hospital last night. It's, it's hard to, to, to make life completely predictable, church, but we shouldn't try to avoid the call in our life because we want it to become more predictable. Then we wind up being unfaithful right there's a temptation to avoid those hurts look it hurts when life just severs you with its ruthless sword there is no doubt that Saul lost loved ones his son died on the same day but rather than walk through it he gave up and that's the end of his story remember the song so high I can't get over it so wide I can't get around it so low I can't go under it I must do what go through the door because Jesus is the door Life is unpredictable. There are things that you cannot avoid. Things happen. The first time I ever saw the bumper sticker, something happens. <laughs> I'm not with the men right now, right? Come to Braveheart. So you might hear something else. But the first time I ever saw that bumper sticker, I never will forget it. I was at McMurray, a small college in Abilene. And I was with the linebacker of the football team. We were standing out there next to the street. And this car drives up. I mean, this is a clunker of a car. And it pulls up next to us, and it's got this huge dent in the left, in the driver's side fender. Um, and then they had that sticker stuck right there. And so they're asking us directions. And you have to know Vince. I won't use his last name. Vince is standing next to me, and he's saying, hey, uh, uh, yeah, what you do is you go around here and he gives them directions and they go to drive off and he's eating an ice cream cone and he turns it over and sticks it on the top of that car. And I thought, what a rude thing to do. I've never been around anybody that did that before. But I've never forgot the bumper sticker. Now, we'll talk about Vince in a minute. All right? Just kidding. So here's the thing. Things do happen. My mother has said many times there are worse things than death. You just need to live your life. There's an old hymn that states, Jesus walked that lonesome valley. He had to go there by himself. Nobody else could go there for him. He had to walk it by himself. He just had to go. He had to do it. And there are some things that you're going to have to walk through that no one else will have to walk through. But don't try to avoid them. Call upon the name of the Lord. See, Jesus was tempted by Satan to do what? To avoid it all. You don't have to go to that cross. You can throw yourself off this thing. A legion of angels will come and save you, and you can have dominion over this earth. You can just avoid it, right? Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from. My help comes from the Lord, who will neither sleep nor slumber. I think it's odd because most of us can quote that 
particular verse, I think it's odd that it says that God will neither sleep nor slumber. What does he mean by that? Well, I was reading in a commentary, and this is what he means by that. Back when there were a lot of feasts and celebrations where people traveled to these feasts, a sentinel would always stay ahead and even guard his post at night to protect the people because the enemies that were out there, the robbers, the thieves, knew that the people would be traveling to these great feasts. It's interesting to me that they wound up having to hire people to protect them just to go have a party. That's basically what happened, but they were often attacked when the sentinel would fall asleep up on the mountaintop. They knew where to look for the sentinel. And oftentimes they would kill him first and then go and raid the people. Now listen to this. I lift my eyes to the hills from well, where will my help come from? What he's saying is, look, my help's not in the sentinel. My help's in one who will never sleep nor slumber. Right? The cross is all about turning defeats into victories, all about walking through this thing that looks like it's defeat and moving on to a place of victory. Sometimes we must walk through the pain of disappointment. Beethoven lost his hearing. Pater became a paralytic. Helen Keller was deaf, blind, and unable to speak. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Spain, but instead was put in a prison cell in Rome. But were they defeated by their disappointments? Absolutely not. See, the cross is about turning those defeats into victories. The cross looked like defeat to the disciples. It was called defeat by the world it felt like defeat to jesus but god made it his greatest victory pulled that quote from leslie waterhead look we must recognize that disappointments come don't blame others for our misfortune go on with life go through life living one day at a time at a sustainable pace trust god that he goes before that he's also goes with goes with Look, church, I can't imagine Saul sharpening his knife, thinking one day I may use this on myself. A sword is not meant for its owner. It's meant for its enemy. If the pressures in life, the stresses of this moment are overwhelming you, I want you to listen to the right voice today that cries out to you in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. and says this, Come, come to me, who, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What voice are you listening to this morning, church? Do you need someone to stand in the gap? Are you alone? Are the stresses in life, maybe they're chronic, maybe they're acute, but they are? And you just need someone to pray for you and pray with you and encourage you and move you on. This is your day. I love this because we find out, Old Testament Scripture says it this way, today is the day of salvation. Today is what we have. You might be out of your prime, but you're not out of this day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for each and every one. Father, we do have stresses in our lives stresses that seem oftentimes unbearable but father we know that you are unshakable father the way the apostle paul puts it is i'm pressed down crushed but i'm not shaken because i know who's in it with me lord i just pray this morning that so many instead of receiving and being able to live in the blessed life they can't see the blessed life because of the stressed life that they're currently living God, I just pray that, Father, we'll be here for one another and most importantly, be here for you. 
Father, for those who need prayer this morning, which is really all of us, Father, bring them forward. Let them know that we will stand in the gap with them. And we'll watch victory happen in their life. We'll watch them leave the defeats and the defeating enemy in this life, Father, and start praising you and walk into victory in you. God, we bless you and we thank you for this day and this time with one another. In Jesus' name.